podcast. Uh, today we have a special guest, our first guest that is outside the uh, XTB network, but a guest, a, a close friend of XTB in general. We have Mark Jarvis from What's on Draft. Mark, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad to be the first non-XTB member to get up in here. Absolutely. So, well, I guess this uh, one of the main reasons of this podcast is one to build a scouting podcast, essentially for scouts to learn about scouting, just as much to discuss scouting. Um, another reason is kind of to promote my draft guide and promote XTB as a whole. But I also think there's so many other great people on draft Twitter on that just cover um, cover the NFL and the draft and the scouting processes who aren't with us. And it'd be like a shame to not get uh, their opinions on these uh, on these matters. So uh, Mark Jarvis has started What's on Draft, which is his website, and he's gotten a lot of buzz on the Internet. He I first heard of him with the Jesse Fritch um, uh, cut-up database, which was such a great tool for scouting. Like, if you don't have access to All-22 and you just got to watch some linemen real quick, like, it was it was amazing. I uh, found out that you had your own website, that you were doing all this, and I was, like, stunned to find out that you were younger than me, like, 21, 22? Yeah, 22 now. I just turned 22. Exactly. So I was just... Very, uh, very impressed with the work that he's done, and uh, I just wanted to find out more and how he did it and what we can learn from his experience that we can hopefully apply into ours. So, uh, Mark, how did you just get into football in general? You come from a football family. How did just this all start for you? Well, I think it started like it did for a lot of people on draft Twitter is I, I was big into Madden when I was younger. I didn't play football in high school. I didn't play it in middle school. Last time I played football and suited up was back in like fourth grade. I was like 90 pounds. So uh, obviously I don't have much playing experience behind me. But um, the idea of kind of team building was something that was always interesting to me. And it's something that kind of stuck out and finding players that can be, you know, these diamonds in the rough. Uh, so to speak. So going from Madden and kind of always loving the scouting aspect on that to applying that to the actual NFL draft, it was about 2014 is when I started getting interested in it. And I, you know, was on forums and stuff like that, looking at people talking about, oh, I like this player. This player is going to be a future star. This guy's going to be a bust. And just something about that process stuck with me. Um, so I started just kind of getting into it that way. Um, I'd watch some highlights of players. I was really, you know, just looking like, okay, this guy made a real nice catch. I'm going to love him. I remember uh, when Andre Ellington came out of Clemson, I think it was 14 or 15. And I remember one particular, like, spin move that just, like, he had no business pulling it off. And, like, yeah, Andre Ellington's my running back one. So, um, <laughs> so gradually that turned into wanting to actually get into more of the nitty-gritty of it and do film analysis. So I started um, – First off, I started by just going on forums and saying, here's this player I watched the the broadcast version of the cut up and um, and here's my notes on him. And obviously, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no again, no playing experience. Um, you know, it was my first time really doing any critical analysis of football. But just that process of sitting down to watch a player and kind of I, I like to compare it to opening presents on Christmas morning. You never know what you're going to get, but you know, you're going to get something that's exciting to you. It might be a pair of socks. You might be like, eh, but. It might be a new Xbox. So you just always got to be excited to unwrap that present. Uh, and that kind of just snowballed. <laughs> yep. I, I'd i say uh, my experience is similar. So uh, I, I sure hope I've mentioned this before, but I'm a Browns fan. And the Browns have a um, much more different relationship within the draft that most people do. Uh, one, we start studying for the draft a lot earlier than most teams do. Um, but, yeah, I would always enjoy um, – like reading the newspapers and like the Lindy, the Lindy sports magazines. And I uh, was always, again, like you, very, very interested in Madden um, and the team building aspect in that. I loved how uh, back in the, back in those days, you can actually scout a player and uh, learn more than just their stiff arm and their spin move rating. But story for another day, I, we can have a whole podcast on everything we hate about Madden, but um. Seeing all of this stuff and just being able, seeing all of the rankings and all of the mock drafts and 
just uh, trying to get a game plan um, on who you think the Browns should draft, who you should be angry if the, if the Browns draft to get this guy, who you should be super stunned and happy about if we were to get this guy. I mean, I've looked through my notes and I found my uh, 2010 uh rankings that I made it was pretty much all just from looking things online it wasn't me doing any actual actual work but hey I wanted to make a ranking system if Walter football can do it then why why can't I do it so that's kind of where I spent most of my time on places like Walter football reading stuff in print because I was a weird kid in high school who read newspapers combine that with the team building aspect and combine that with the fact that the draft was way more important to being a Browns fan. That's what me. Uh, that's what kind of got me in that direction. So, what was like the next step? Like, there's lots of people on uh, online who can go and watch a game on a quarterback and write a blog post about it, or call into the radio and say, "I like this guy. I don't like this guy." But what what brought brings you to the next step of being able to understand and fully like get a prospect and start to get to that next level of understanding the scouting process well i know a lot of people try to try to do it like you know they'd go through scouting academy or they you know try to learn from these different mentors and teachers and i was kind of self-taught in a way like i just said you know what i don't want to go through the process of all these different things i'm just going to sit down i'm just going to watch players and i'm just going to keep going and going and just really get to work on it so that's why a lot of my early stuff was so horrendous was i had no clue what i was looking at because i had no baseline i had no understanding like this is what a good player looks like this is what a bad player looks like so it really was just a i the way I like to frame it is I've heard I've heard Matt Wallman say it. I've heard a couple of different people say it that are analysts. Is they call it catching the sickness. You catch the sickness, man. You can't get rid of it. You have that just you know okay. I've watched prospects now and I've fallen in love with it. So you just want to keep going and going and going. Uh, and like I said, it snowballs. You I went from doing uh, you know a couple posts on a forum saying oh I like Brad Kaya and I kind of like Deshaun Watson and I like Deshaun Kaiser to okay now let's let's kind of document this let's put this somewhere so that's when i made my site what's on draft and um i just started putting the reports on that site i I tag a little cut up too to be like here's the game i watched so you can watch it too and see if you agree with me real simple here's the pros for the guy here's the the cons for the guy here's kind of just where i where i value him and here's a ballpark grade it was the grading system made no sense but here here's the grading system um and then it just that process just became okay. Let me just watch as many guys as I possibly can, and that's kind of what I've done for the majority of the past few years. And I know a lot of people like to talk about process, but my process more than anything was let's just get a big sample size. Let's kind of just you know work out the kinks through through trial and error, and and watch as many guys as possible. Wow, yeah, that's uh that's really neat. Um, it was a little uh, different for me. Um, I guess the whole real journey of getting um into actual uh, actual scouting at a more professional level was um i think it was in 2016 uh, my college bowling green state university had what was called the maxwell media showcase or something of, of that nature so apparently dick maxwell who was like the head of tv operations for like the nfl who helped broadcast all the super bowls was very influential in how uh, football was like taped and recorded went to bowling green and he has a program where he brings nfl players and former nfl players down to bowling green and then they talk with their journalism professors and our communications professors to kind of you know get them get get them a foot in in um a future in media and um, I got to go there. I um, got to talk with some football players like TJ Carey. I saw Michael Turner. Um, and they brought some of the sport management students to um, uh, help them out. get Because um, we know where the Epler building is and where Kreischer is, and they don't. So kind of escort them around. Uh, even had a nice funny moment where me and Michael Turner had the same pair of shoes on and I did my uh, one of my favorite jokes of hey man I like your shoes oh thank you I got them wait you're wearing the same shoes as me you're complimenting your own shoes as well (laughs) joke which I'm still proud of to this day but um the main the headline speaker was a guy named Jerry Madelon who was the ESPN talent coach 
So he like actually like taught like the um, Stuart Scotts and the Crawford Crawfords and the like the Sports Center hosts how to like talk on ESPN and how to communicate their ideas for people to understand. And like I'm not sure if you've ever had this experience where it's like you meet somebody in the industry that you admire, but you just click personality wise. Like either. You're um you're cold, uh, cold, really analytical and a little snarky, and that person is too, and you just communicate the same way. I am uh, I was very bright and energetic with um a, the certain sense of humor that he enjoys, and we just clicked. And he said that um like I reminded him in either my attitude or something of that nature of Phil Savage, who is the former GM of the Browns. I love the Browns, more connections, and it, like, took a year. Like, this wasn't just like a, oh, I met him, he hooked me up with uh, Phil Savage. It was like he gave um, he gave me his email, I gave him the information, and I got put on a list, and then I got invited to senior, senior Bull Scout School a year later. So, yeah, another little, you never know what seed, you plant some seeds, you never know which ones are going to sprout. And that was a really great example of it. Got to learn about scouting from him. Got to meet some pe- people with a similar mindset. Um, and then I applied to Sports Info Solutions, which was my first real football job. Got to learn about what it's like to watch tape 40 hours a week. What it's like to actually come up with a scouting system. What it's like to like seeing things on the next level. So that's kind of where I got my first uh, where I got my first training. Um, my idea was always never really to make scouting reports for the public or to engage. It was almost just for me to make scouting reports for myself and to show the people that I would meet at the senior bowl or at the, um, at different football type places. So I never really cared all that much about what the public thought of my reports because I just, that wasn't who I was targeting. But then after a while, I realized that I built a system that people like and people are wanting to like make this a collaborative project. And I obliged. I found Searle, who's just been like the perfect person to work with for me. And we that's how we kind of started with um, building a scouting collective and going from what was then draft right and now to XTB. So it's kind of interesting how we had kind of very different different philosophies and um, how we got there, but still are kind of in the same spots in our careers where we're young scouts and right on the verge of making it into the NFL or into a real full-time position, hopefully. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, what what plans do you have for the f- uh, future of what's on, what's on draft? I know you're now doing some more collaborative projects for um, other other websites what things do you have planned to improve on yourself as a scout or what more things do you want to add to your systems and new processes that you want to incorporate into your scouting definitely i want to add more of a a a scheme aspect to it because i think um the x's and o's of football is something that kind of doing it my own way and learning how to scout on my own i didn't pick up as much x's and o's stuff and it's something that's uh, obviously very important when you're projecting to teams so I'm hoping to get a little bit more knowledge in that regard, find mentors who can kind of direct me uh, with stuff like that, where it's more, like I said, the X's and O's of things. Um, regarding the future of what's on draft, really, I just hope it continues to be business as usual. I hope I can build the brand up enough to where it can become a, a full-time thing where, you know, it, it's just a full income because I couldn't imagine, like, obviously everyone wants to have, oh, I want to be a scout. I want to do this. I want to work at, you know, so-and-so place. I've never really had that in as, in as much of a sense. I've always wanted to just do, you know, let me just wake up in the morning, make some coffee, sit down, watch some players, type up some reports, and, and just kind of, you know, go about my business kind of in the way I'm doing it right now. So um, that's kind of my hopes for what's on draft. But um, the collaborative projects are a really interesting thing because I was very fortunate to get an opportunity right for Lindy's uh, draft guide last year. Um, I've had a couple other people reach out to me about opportunities I'm, I'm writing for dynasty draft room and, uh, with the first pick right now. Um, so there's, there's a lot of collaborative, collaborative stuff that I enjoy doing, but at the end of the day, if, if it comes down to it, I want to be able to, you know, turn what's on draft into a, not, you know, some mega media empire thing, like the draft network's doing with their stuff. They're insane. But, uh, I, I kind of want to just make it my own little niche in the corner of the internet where I make enough money to live and I can sit and watch prospects all day. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that sounds like a sounds like a great a great life. You also have that like flexibility. Like I'm I'm looking for jobs right now, and then just in the back of my head, I'm like, if I get hired by this company, they better let me go down to Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. If I get to go down to Indy, they better let me go down for the Combine. And I'm almost like a little bit scared that um my job my real life is going to impact my football abilities but if you can just build just off patreon money ad revenue that would be you would have the money and also have like the complete and utter total freedom to go where you want scout who you want and do stuff actually in person which is a step that i was hoping to take this year stupid coronavirus but um a a step i think everybody should kind of look for look forward to so what um one thing I think people are kind of uh don't know about like scouting or just some of the project stuff that I did is how much non-scouting work goes into being a scout. Uh, I'm reading the book Scout Speak by Neil Stratton. I know you read it. Um, I've heard um lots of interesting stories about some of the things that scouts and people in the NFL do that makes them valuable. It doesn't even have anything to do with like football knowledge. Our, um, our, uh, I guess, dad of the project, uh, Ron, who worked for uh, the XFL, told me how <clears throat> one of the things that he did that really, like, made people respect him was <clears throat> that um, after, after a game, there was, like, a flight delay, and he needed to make the call on whether to redo the hotels for another, uh, another night so all the players would stay there or go to, uh, go to the airport and sleep there and, like, what to do about, like, uh, where, like, the players are going to go over film the next day because their flight back home was canceled. And it's, like, those decisions that have nothing to do with scouting, but can actually make uh, the difference between being a great scout and just a scout that gets the resume passed over. Um, have you, um, what have you learned about like hit that has nothing to do with scouting, but really helps your scouting is apparently the best way for me to put that. That's an interesting one because I'm, like I said, I'm kind of always been the guy who just wants to, you know, just get to work and just kind of grind through it and th- through the mistakes. Um, networking is a big thing. Almost every, you know, Every connection that I've made to where I've been able to, you know, get an opportunity in another site or, you know, things like that, it's always connection oriented. I'm not as, as good of a connector as, as you seem to be <laughs> based on what I've seen. But, uh, you know, it's it's something that is very important. Uh, it's I know people always use that old adage of, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I think if you're trying to break into the industry, I think that's a big part of it. Um, you could obviously go my route and, and be so stubborn that you refuse to <laughs> to quit, but it's probably not the the preferable route if you're trying to get in quick and then kind of just get your foot in the door. Absolutely. Out of all of the cliches that like people tell me, that people tell you like it's not what you know it's who you know is probably like the most true one and it's like the one I don't ever get tired of hearing like uh what is it I work at a bike shop right now and I get loads of old people cliches because my the owner of the place is 80 and comes in and like talks to me like I'm his grandson every once in a while so it's like I hear a lot of that stuff that's like the one cliche that's just so true I know for me one of the things that um I've kind of taken the role of is doing a lot of the things that don't involve scouting to let the people who are good at scouting do scouting. So I've been focused on network, uh, working on the design of the draft guide, like how a scouting report looks and reads is so crucial, is so crucial. Like having the most important information at the top, being able to get all the information a person needs and not have them need to read it for more than two minutes and have it still be like valuable at a five second glance like look at the report overall grade trait grades summary like all of uh, making sure all of those things are nice and clear is important uh networking as you said huge i'm in the um in doing this i've been trying to get a hold of as many different people in the industry talking with um trying to talk with former scouts trying to talk with other website directors just trying to get their input on what i can do better and just kind of build like i said build those connections and sometimes when you build connections you also accidentally build friendships and like i feel that there's like a different 
there's like levels to connections. Like there's one, there is the connect connection or a person you know that knows you exist. They don't necessarily have a positive opinion, but they don't have a negative opinion. They know you exist. If they're looking through their resume, like I know that guy. And then there's like the second level of they know you exist and they like your work. So it's like this, the next time they're searching through the uh, through a pile of resumes for doing that little file metaphor, they see your name and they pull it out because they know uh, they know that you're doing good work. So that's kind of after you meet a person at the senior bowl for a couple years straight. You've emailed uh, emailed them your reports. You've like talked with them over dinner and made them laugh and just a contact that generally likes you. But then the third one is the most critical one. And that is the one who knows you exist, likes your work, and is willing to help you get to the next level, and is willing to vouch for you. So it's like building connections and building new connections, but maintaining the ones you already have so you can kind of get pushed up, put pushed up that little uh, ladder of trust and friendship. Yeah, and one thing you mentioned that I thought was very interesting, you you talked about your role regarding XTB, just how you're kind of the organizer in a way, and I think that's something that kind of gets overlooked by a lot of people when it comes to scouting, because with scouting, it's not necessarily just, oh, can I turn on the tape and see, okay, yeah, this guy's good, I'm going to write down, okay, he's good, and I, I'm shipping it off. You have to be able to build something to where you can organize, you know, here's all the players I've watched, here's how I'm stacking the receivers, here's why I got this guy over that guy. There's so much into it in terms of the organization aspect. I mean, I, I've I've run databases for the past three years. It can be an absolute nightmare at times when you're trying to organize things and keep everything together. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very organizationally heavy when you're trying to, to build a process that's going to be successful and kind of boost you up as a scout. Absolutely. And like another part of scouting that people like uh, I don't feel talk about it. it's like just the travel involved being able to game plan all right well I'm going to fly uh, fly in from my hometown down to Baton Rouge Louisiana gonna get a rental car here gonna get the hotel uh, hotel or Airbnb here which is this far away from the stadium parking will be here all of that stuff like remember when you like first started driving and things like finding a parking spot were like traumatic I'm still like, traumatized. <laughs> yes. So it's like thing, things of that nature can get in the way. Or um, I don't know how many times I've been told by like scouts above that like when you go to a school like from the Tuesday, Tuesdays to Thursdays to, you know, watch film sessions with the uh, liaison or uh, the coaches, how many times I've always been told to always bring the bagels, always be the guy that brings the donuts. <laughs> Have you been told that as well? Yeah, I've heard that quite a few times. You got to make sure those coaches are happy. You got to you got to make those connections and otherwise they might kick you out of the building for it. <laughs> exactly. So one, imagine uh, you're you're a real scout and you're go, uh, you're going to a college and it's like your first time. You're like, okay, I got to bring my stopwatch. I got to bring my uh, rain jacket because if it's pouring, I don't want to stand there in my nice new Washington football team or whatever team you work for polo and get it wet. You got your stopwatch. You got your raincoat. You've got you've got your notes, your master sheet. I could very easily see how people would forget the bagels. <laughs> yeah, and it's I since we're going down this road of talking about kind of that you know the actual scouts that are on the road. I think it's interesting just the the way they prepare these guys and the way these guys kind of have a system knocked down of you do this, you do that, you do this, and just kind of the overall style is very interesting to me. Like I remember being at the Senior Bowl. And it was my first time being around NFL scouts at all. And I'm sitting there in the stands and I look over to my right and there's some Panthers scouts and they've got a whole notebook set up. It's got the player's photo. It's got, you know, a big long list of you can write down this here and that. And I wasn't going to, you know, lean over and stoop and be like, hey, man, can I take a look at that? But just kind of getting a, a glance like, OK, he's got Devin DuVernay on his little notebook. I wonder what he's going to write down. So these guys are so prepared and they like like I said, they go into a school their, you know, their schedule's ironed out. You're going in at seven, you sit down, you watch some tape for a few hours, and you go to meet with a pro liaison, and you talk to some strength conditioning coaches, you talk to, you know, these different people and make these connections to dig up that info. Um, it's just so cool to me, the process that they have, and it's very, you know, I don't want to go back to saying organized again, because I talked about organization a ton earlier, but it's just so organized. It's a beautiful process. 
I know. Another thing that I find really interesting about scouts is that um, so most scouting staffs are only around, what, 10 to 13 people that is said in the book. So and they each cover certain areas. So if you go down to the senior bowl, you can talk uh, you can talk to scouts and they're only you they're probably only going to know a lot about the players that are in their area. If a guy covers the southeast, he's not going to know anything about just hardly anything about Justin Herbert besides what what he's hearing on the road. So you actually, if you've watched film on him, might even know more about Herbert than he does. So it's like the scouts, they aren't like full encyclopedias. They do not know like everything. And that's just something I think that's kind of cool and how you have like the scouts and they gather area on different information, um, different prospects and they're like separate separative entities and a lot of those scouts are probably looking at guys there that are not going to get drafted will barely be at camp they're going to be putting in that work on people that that the fruit isn't going to bloom yeah that's i will uh, not to cut you off there but i will throw in we can talk about this a little bit if you want because i've i spent so much of the summer watching players who are just not going to cut it and it's so interesting because everyone loves to watch those superstars but you get to guys that are okay can you make the 53 can he make the practice squad? What can he contribute on special teams? It's such an interesting dynamic to dig into those kind of diamond into the rough guys and be like, okay, this guy might never be a, a, a future star. He's never going to be our starting wide receiver, but he might be able to go contribute on, as a punt returner or something, or he might be a developmental guy we can stash on the practice squad, or he might even be on our short list of you know street free agents where if something goes wrong, we're calling him up and trying to get him in the building. So those smaller, lesser-known guys – get looked over but the work those scouts do definitely it, it pays it pays dividends exactly like there's so many football players out there that just aren't even on our like radar or understanding but these scouts need to know it because yeah a year a year down the line you get hit really hard with injuries at wide uh, wide receivers that guy that you graded out as a 5.5 training camp invite not really an nfl prospect might actually be the best person available after your three linebackers get hurt and everybody else has got um, gobbled up and doesn't fit your system. So being able to do that or uh, another thing I find interesting, it's like scouting in like the CFL or scouting from the AAF and XFL where it's like you got to find good players, but not two good players that they're going to be undrafted free agents and make a team and being able to recognize, hey, this person is willing going to be willing to play in the XFL or no, this person's going to be a doctor and make more money than as a doctor than what he would in the XFL. So there is just so much cool things of that nature that I'm just so excited, so excited to learn about. So uh, what are some players that um, you've, I know you've, you've got so many players, your, the quantity of your work is just a lot who have been sort of speaking your guys. I know, caveat, as scouts, we shouldn't really have our guys. We should be able to watch players and recognize their strengths and weaknesses, what schemes they would work for, and what schemes that they wouldn't. But sometimes, like, you just fall in love with the guy or you fall in love with the prototype. And you know, it's not like the most perfectly rational thing. This player isn't going to be a god in every single team and every system, but... You just like them. And if you were to run a football team, you would have this scheme, this system. You would be doing this thing, the, uh, things this way. So this is like my guy. Who are your guys, guys with uh, asterisks on it with that caveat that I just mentioned below it? <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you point out that caveat. And we talked about it a little bit before the podcast of a lot of people will be like, this is my guy. I'm This is mine. And I try to always avoid that. Like, I have guys that I like, you know, like Robert Hunt last year was a big one just because he was so physical and so mean. I fell in love with Robert Hunt. But you have to understand your own biases and say, okay, well, I can't go around saying, oh, I'm going to bet everything on this player. You want to have every player that you watch be considered equally to every other player that you watch. So I might go in and say, okay, yeah, I loved this guy, but I'm not going to put him up on a pedestal. I've got one guy that stands out to me as like an okay this is the I'm banging the table for guy. I've watched about 320 or so guys so far this year through the summer. 
Um, a lot of it preliminary stuff. I haven't done, you know, full watches, but Coin Dang from California. I know um, <laughs> you and uh, Cyril mentioned him on that first pod of how I'll, I'll rave about him all day. 6'6", 225. I always love those height, weight, speed guys. Um, apparently, he's balked up to about 245, 250 this year, and he he's such a just an anomaly in terms of his build. You think of big linebackers usually. You think of guys who are a little bit stiff, who don't have that kind of fluidity that you look for. Guys that have those long legs usually can't, you know, make those sharp changes of direction. I think Coiny Dang can, uh, or Coin Dang rather, can do that. And uh, just he's he's a different breed of linebacker in terms of the length. The he's not super duper physical yet, but he can get it done. Um, he's so smooth in pass coverage. Smart guy too. Just the fact that he was playing at the level he did at California for a first-year starter coming in from Juco is, is really incredible. So Coin Ding is a guy that – he's number nine overall on my board right now. Obviously, I've got a lot of big-name guys to watch, but uh, I love him. I can talk about him all day. Uh, going down the board a little bit, some diamonds that I think I've kind of dug up during the summer. Um, Brady Davis from Illinois State quarterback. I know everyone looks for their sleeper quarterbacks. They always want to find those guys through kind of those – Oh, he's the everyone likes that. Oh, he's the next Tom Brady. Oh, he's the next Joe Burrow. Gonna come out of nowhere. But um, I think Brady Davis, for what he is, is a very talented guy. Six three, two ten, very quality arm. He can make throws off platform effectively. Um, he's not going to wow you in terms of accuracy or decision making yet. But I think tools wise, he's upper echelon for a lot of college quarterbacks. Um, running back B.J. Emmons from uh, Florida Atlantic. I gave him a fifth round grade. Um, He's a very nicely built uh, running back, former Bama guy, 5'11", 230. Uh, he doesn't have a ton of production because he's been injured in the transfer and all that. There's some other stuff going on with him. But I think he's got a very nice blend of athleticism. Uh, power is still a work in progress, but there are some flashes. He's just kind of built like you want those guys to be uh, at running back. Um, let me look through here, see if i got anyone else I can pull up. Because I always have those, uh, those diamond of the rough guys that I'll tout for him. Um, Isaiah Dunn from uh, Oregon State. That's one I'm very proud of. So Isaiah Dunn, I saw people saying, oh, he's maybe cornerback 90 or something in this class. Nobody really was a big fan of him, but he reminded me of Dane Jackson coming out of Pitt last year. Not necessarily the most athletic corner, maybe going to run a you know mid 4-6, low 4-6 type um, in the 40-yard dash. But he's super tough at the line of scrimmage, will put his hands on you, get scrappy. Um, solid man-to-man guy. Again, not going to wow in terms of recovery speed or straight-up athleticism, but tough physical guy who's going to really give you a fight every time you line up for him. So those are some of those diamond in the rough guys that I've really liked this year. Um, one more I will throw out here that I think everyone should watch is Grant Stewart from Houston. Uh, six foot one, two ten-ish, small linebacker, but he plays his butt off and he'll hustle all the way across the field to come get you. So he's a great motor guy who's going to find a place on special teams. Yeah, what I liked about that list, uh, list you just uh, gave me is you have one – I guess uh, some people like to talk about the difference between athletes and football players. Um, I don't really think there's much of a difference, but like when you say an athlete, like a guy who's size, weight, speed, just a freak, like there aren't many linebackers out there who are six, six, like that alone is something that is rare. And I'm a big fan of drafting for rarity. Uh, you can look back. Um, I want to say I'm not bragging, but I kind of am that I had Lamar Jackson as like, a top five pick because I knew that that speed is so rare and can do things, do things for defenses that would make, uh, make him a difficult quarterback to defend. Did I think he was going to be an MVP this soon? No, not really, but I thought he was going, I knew he was going to be better than Josh Rosen. And, um, but you also have, in addition to like the freaks, you also kind of have the guys who are the football players, the guys who are like, oh yeah, he may only be 5'11 and run uh, high 4'5, but he's just got that attitude. He's got the production in spite of the, of the, in spite of his lack of physical attributes. And I think that's really good that you are able to rec- have favorites in both. Uh, man, he's just a special freak who has abilities that no one is going to be able to replicate, but also kind of look through and say, this guy can just play ball. I'm not go- all that concerned about his lack of measurables. But I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and I think one thing that's interesting when you look at – you mentioned how area scouts, you might have a Southeast guy who goes in and doesn't even – he's only heard of Justin Herbert through – you know, maybe he watched a live game or something just to get a peek, but he hasn't written up Justin Herbert. He's not doing evals on Justin Herbert. But 
it's almost like for those guys, you're digging real deep just so you can find those. Okay, I'm watching 30 linebackers, and 29 of them are guys I'm not going to bring on to the roster because they're you know deep UDFA guys, and they just don't cut it. But you find that one guy who's got that you know one trait. Maybe he's got you know that the hustle. He's got the intelligence. Um, there's certain things that when you get down into that bottom of the barrel group of UDFAs where you start picking. Okay, I'm not looking for this guy to be a you know a superstar. I just want this guy to have one or two trades say, okay, he can make it. Like I'm looking down through my board here. Let me see um, a good example of this. So Dwayne Johnson Jr. from San Diego State. I know uh, he's gotten a little bit of love as like a back of the draft type guy, maybe you know high priority free agent, but I haven't seen anyone talk about him as a firm draftable player. But he's one that I really like just in terms of he's 6'2", 215, got a good body for a safety, physical, going to come up and hit you. And he's not going to fly through space, but he can kind of – if he, his pursuit angles are right, um, he can come up and he can make an impact as maybe a backup safety. Or he can be a special teams guy, assuming he tests well enough for it. So those are the types of guys who stand out when you watch you know, 20 bad safeties. You'll have that one guy who you're like, okay, I think he can be something. He's not going to be you know, something incredible, but that's really, in my opinion, where scouts are going to make their money and where it kind of defines you as an evaluator. Can you pick out those late-round guys and those UDFAs who can be impact players? Yep, and another reason why I think it's really important to watch uh, bad players, and I say bad as, well, they're way better than I'm ever going to be at football <laughs> and almost any player that I'm ever going to meet, but bad as in they, they're not going to be on most people's top 300 boards is because when you watch these guys, you can get a greater appreciation for how good the good guys are. Like, I watched Tough Borland, the linebacker from Ohio State, right before I watched Dylan Moses, and it was just like night and day. Like, you see how... You're watching Tough Boy, and you're like, man, this guy looks pretty slow. Is he just slow, or this? Well, you know, this is just kind of the first linebacker I'm watch. I'm watching this year. There's so much more I need to see. You're just kind of like questioning it because, like, this is the first linebacker you see. But then you go move on to Dylan Moses, and you're like, yep, he's slow. Yeah, Tough Borland has a lot of issues. Yes, Dylan Moses is really athletic. Or uh, for me, a guy that I watched that I was really almost kind of like disappointed in was D'Angelo Amos. And he was re- he was a really weird prospect for me because I didn't really see anything with him as a safety that I like thought was really an NFL level. He was a good tackler, but I didn't really see him have that speed. I saw him needing to chase quarterbacks from behind when I thought he had the angle. His range seems to be like from the seam to seam rather than from sideline to sideline. And I'm like, there's no way I can put this guy out as a safety in the NFL, if he you're as a free safety, if you're 5'11", 190, solid form tackler, but I, I don't want to see him tackle Derrick Henry and <laughs> don't have and don't have the range. But then I watch his punt return highlights and his special team stuff. The guy has I think like five block kicks in his career in like six punt in six return touchdowns. So it's like. Why does he look so fast on special teams, but not on defense? So it's like, would I take a shot at the end of the, in the seventh round on a safety? I think he's now with Virginia now, who I'm not, who had trouble moving with D2 players, but was such a dynamic special team threat and was just like a running back in open space or like a good receiver on a wide receiver screen, just like looping through everything perfectly. And it's just like, I'm not sure what to do with that, do with that player. But when you watch uh, not top 300 players, you really get a better appreciation for what some of the uh, guys higher up the board will can do. Yeah, absolutely. And like you're talking about with Amos, like at least he has the form tackling. Like there are some guys who I can sit down and watch for a game and be I, I can know to turn off the tape after one game. Like I know this guy's you're going to give him that reject grade because he doesn't have anything. He might go run a, you know, a four nine and not be able to tackle at all. And and decision making's bad. And, all you know, there's really no positives. So when you get down to those, you know, late round guys like Amos, maybe where you might be willing to take a shot, well, Okay, he's got form tackling, so maybe you could use him on special teams a little bit in that regard. And then obviously he's got the punt return ability, so you're just trying to find something that you can hang your hat on. So I think it's so fun to try to dig into those guys and find those 
one or two traits that stand out that separate them from that whole pack because that's really the difference between a guy making your roster and a guy being you know a street free agent who might make it into camp but might not. I mean, there, there's a big there, there's a very small gap between those guys. It's easy to tell that Dylan Moses is a you know top 100 talent who's going to be probably assuming he's healthy a stud at the next level. It's easy to everyone can call out that guy, but it's a lot tougher to go down the board and say, okay, what's the difference between D'Angelo Amos and some safety from you know some D2 school who we're never going to hear of and who's never going to play an NFL down. Yep, exactly. Or even like the kind of uh, uh, remember scouting Watt failure together. Like yeah, find it. Yeah, finding a guy, uh, a guy like that, and he was also kind of tricky because um, he just felt like one trade away from filling like different prototypes. Like he had hands, but he just didn't have that like quickness in and out of his break that I re- that you would want out of like an Edelman. But he was often used as kind of like the the decoy or the offensive weapon being used in like a jet sweep kind of jet sweeps, reverses, trick plays. He was used a lot on those like designated plays to get him the ball. And while he did good at that in college, I don't think he's running faster than a four or five at the combine. I don't think he's going to be like a speedy player at the NFL level. So it's uh, kind of one of those things where he's good at his role in college, but I don't think it'll project well to the project well to the NFL. But he's also just like one trade. If he can like just get a little quicker or get a little faster or maybe get a little stronger to be kind of like a more traditional wide receiver, then he would be draftable. But he's not. He's just kind of a fourth wide a player who can make the team as a fourth receiver for now and that's the sad thing about like not having certain conferences play football is there's so many guys who i'll watch and i'll be like this player is learning this trade away from being this type of player yeah and i think wop's a really good example of like you look at you got to learn to appreciate and this is to kind of everyone is you've got to learn to appreciate the guys who are just average because those guys who are just average for an NFL player are probably phenomenal college players, and, and they're worth getting enjoyment out of. So like a guy like WAP, he's not going to be some future standout slot guy, in my opinion, because he doesn't have the speed. Like you said, he's, he's very, you know, I don't want to say limited, but he's limited in a lot of ways for an NFL receiver. But when you compare him to the majority of receivers in college, you start to gain an appreciation for, okay, he has good hands, and he does this well, and he does that well. And I think people get kind of wrapped up in, oh, this guy's just, uh, he's bad, like, outright. And, and it's not the case. Like, I think to this first, or excuse me, second week of games that we got going on uh, in college this past week, where everyone was trashing Ian Book because he didn't have the greatest game against Duke. And I saw people saying, oh, yeah, Ian, Bur- Ian Book's the worst co- uh, college quarterback out there. Like, he's worse than everyone else. I'm like, have you watched these other college quarterbacks? Because I have, and I know that Ian Book – he might not be a you know a future starter. He might not even be a future backup. But Ian Book can he's going to get into a camp. And most of these guys that you watch, they might not even make it into a small league or get a camp invite. These guys might just have to go sell insurance. So it gives you appreciation um, watching those bad players. It gives you appreciation for the guys that are really good, and it makes the watch more enjoyable, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. As somebody who went to a school in the Mid-American Conference, I got to see a lot of those players, and there are a lot of bad quarterbacks in the Mid-American Conference. Not at Bowling Green, though, because um, the quarterbacks that were went to my school while I was there were Matt Johnson. He's a really interesting example of a, just a very interesting prospect. He was like 5'11", had an amazing arm, amazing accuracy, was the most productive quarterback in our school's history, but broke his hip his junior year, so it took away his playmaking ability. And he um, was going for the third wide quarterback spot for the Bengals in like 2016, and he lost to Joe Licata, who was the quarterback at Buffalo. And when he was at Buffalo, Buffalo was like the bottom of the barrel team, and Joe was like an average quarterback leading a bad team, and I never even thought this guy can make it to the NFL. And Matt Johnson had all the production in the world, but gets beat out by like a guy who Matt beat all three times he played. 
Um, then Matt went to the uh, CFL and re-injured his hip and, and ended his career. So it's like I've had the chance to see a lot of those border borderline guys and see players who were good in college and good at the mid-American level, but had have no chance to make it in the NFL. Yeah, one example. Okay, go go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I thought uh, Scott, uh, Scotty Miller was going to be uh, be that guy too, but oh boy, <laughs> and am I happy that I um, that I was wrong. What what a run he's been having. Yeah, and one example that comes to mind for me when you think about those guys who are those small school guys who they you know they they get that love for being a small school guy and you know the everyone who went to that school knows about them, but they go to the NFL and you're like, hey, is he gonna make it? He's not gonna make it. I think of um, I watched Donald Payne. Um, he was playing for the Jaguars and I was watching. I think it was Levante David and I'm like, okay, rather than fight with Game Pass to jump around and go from you know one side of the ball to the other, I'm just gonna watch the Jags and try to find someone that I want to watch. And Payne was in his first career start. He'd been in the league for about three years. He's a 5'11", 220 to 215 pound safety who converted to linebacker. So you got this guy who defies all the measurements that you kind of expect in there playing starting linebacker for the Jags because of injuries to other people and all that sort of stuff. And he goes out there and has a decent game. And, and it's so fun to look at those kind of guys who – they don't necessarily meet all the measurables or they came from a, a small school or they're a positional convert and they're all these different things. But you can find these guys across the league. Late in the season, you've got those guys. So you, you got to know what you're scouting for. You got to know, OK, am I scouting for a guy who's going to be a, a week one starter? Or am I scouting for a guy who might come in week 16 and, and be the guy after two linebackers are hurt? And you're trying to find that guy who we got to pick him up off the street. Are we going to you know, move him up from the practice squad just because we need somebody to put on the field on Sunday? Yeah. And yeah, that's what's that's what's just so fun about scouting. It's just there's so there's so much depth. It's so much more than just people arguing on Twitter over this is my guy, no, your guy sucks. I'm gonna beat you up or whatever. How However, dare you how dare you like this one prospect that I don't like? Your entire evaluation ability is hinged on whether or not you like this one player, man, let me tell you. Absolutely. Like, how did you get that uh, that spot at whatever sport media site that you work for? I'm clearly would be a much better choice because I watch one game of every prospect and have a ranking board on. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. That's why um, on Twitter at this point, I mostly just complain about my Cleveland Indians. I've always wanted to get do a little more draft draft Twitter type stuff, but. I don't know. Twitter communities and Twitter group think always just kind of turned me off to the platform. Do you want to talk about that at all? Because that's something I think would be an interesting conversation for for me, especially being on here is I feel like I've I've bucked a lot of the trends in terms of how I've evaluated guys. And I've had some very controversial opinions on a platform that doesn't like controversial opinions. So if you want, we could we could talk about oh, that a little abs- bit. Yeah, absolutely. I actually want to mention like this, like beforehand is I'm not nearly as brave as you are with um with putting putting stuff out. I don't want to like I want all of my um stuff to be my own opinion, but I even I can't help it. I I always look at like what other what other people would rank. So usually I will try how I'll like scout a player. So I'll watch two game two games of them on my own preferably knowing as little as I can about the prospect so it can be just my evaluation. But usually after those two games, since uh, I work for PFF and have like a lot of the PFF tools available, I'll go check what um the PFF his PFF grades and I'll I'll do it to see, hey, did were these two games I just watched of him? Did I watch his best game and his worst game, his two worst games, his two best games. So I think it'd be kind of valuable like that because your evaluation of a prospect can be skewed if you just get a good, watch a good set of games or a bad set of games. But then like when you see like the grades and you see, and you know the process that PFF goes through when evaluating the players and you, and you trust and believe in that process because you work there, it does kind of like warp that opinion. And one of the things I can't kind of admire about you is I don't think you have any, I think this is everything you do is 100% you. I appreciate that. (laughs) And and that's accurate. Like um, that's something that you really, really try to do is make sure everything is your opinion. Correct. Yeah, and and that's something that like before we watched WAP, I asked you like, hey man, can I have like you know an hour or so to to watch him and write my report? Because I don't want to go in there with any bias. Like, um, 
I had someone, you know, go to watch um, Tommy Doyle with me, and I haven't seen any of Tommy Doyle, and I'm like, you know, man, I know you want to sit here and do Zoom session. I'm down with that. We can watch players, but let's not do a guy that I have no, you know, no clue about. I haven't watched any tape on because I don't want to go in with any biases, with any ideas of, okay, this person likes this guy, so I should like this guy, or I have to have these opinions. I want to sit down, and, and obviously I hear the outside noise. I hear, oh, this player is that, and this player is this, but when I sit down, I want the only thing to be speaking to me is my eyes. That's all I, I want to be used because it might tell me something that I, I'm very confused about. I might see a player who – you know, Jamar Chase is a great example. I sat down and watched Jamar Chase, and everyone was talking, about, oh, Jamar Chase is wide receiver one. He's going to be top 10. He's going to be top 15. And I sat down and I watched a guy. I'm like, okay, I like Jamar Chase for these certain aspects, but here's the things I'm concerned about. And at the present time, I, he's not a first-rounder for me. He's not a second-rounder for me. I gave him, a, I think it was a six-round grade the first time I watched him. I, I've bumped that up since because I, I watched some more and liked a little bit more in other games. But, like, when I sit down, man, it's just there's no outside noise. I'm just turning on music and just, okay, I'm going to just – everything that I'm writing down is my eyes have told me, and I'm just writing it down. I'm just the translator for whatever my eyes see. Absolutely, and that's brave for uh, for <laughs> one. Um, I have not like done a full thing on Jamar on Jamar Chase, but after just off of my memories of him abusing Trevon Diggs in the um in the LSU Alabama game, just off that, I feel like I would have given him at least a top 100 grade just off that perform off that performance alone. So yeah, what was what was it like? Did you like actively like tweet, hey, I just watched Jamar Chase and he was a sixth round prospect or were people like looking at your site? Or how did how did the how did the process of it go on Twitter? Because there's well, so it, many people <laughs> on Twitter who will try to tweet incendiary things in order to get a reaction. But you tweet are tweeting your actual opinion and are getting the response that somebody would get when they're actually trolling. So it's like Yeah. Let me let me first touch on on um Something like you mentioned, like watching live viewing of uh, Jamar Chase against Trevon Diggs. I don't watch any live games unless I'm getting drunk and, and eating a lot of food. Like I've, I watched maybe like uh, two, I watched, I think, three games last year live college football. I watched LSU Bama because that was just, you know, the, the prime matchup. Everyone wanted to see that. That was, you know, that's one you go for the experience. Um, and I watched the two semifinal playoff games. I didn't even watch Clemson LSU live, but I watched uh, Joe Burrow and I'd already had my report written up on Joe Burrow. I had watched maybe seven games up to that point. I, I started, you know, gradually liking Burrow more and more, but I still ended up pretty low on him relative to most people. But I watched him live tear up Oklahoma. I'm like, wait, what am like? It, how am I not loving this guy? What's wrong with me? Like he's I'm watching him live and he's a monster. And then I turned on the Oklahoma game to watch his tape and actually go back and study. I'm like, OK, I'm seeing the same things I saw on tape. What's the difference between watching live and watching, you know, you know sitting down and watching the tape for real? And uh, that's something where I always try to avoid those live viewings just to avoid that kind of bias. Um, the announcers, the camera angles. Oh, yeah. Like. It's it's so much that can kind of skew you because you get – you know, you watch it live. You get one view. You get Joe Burrow throws that ball once, and then, okay, it's on to the next play. Whereas tape, I can watch Burrow throw that ball 20 times if I want to. I can go back mm -hmm. and study, you know, the way his feet are set. I can watch the arm angle. I can watch, you know, the process of decision-making. I watch that, him throw it once, and I say, okay, yeah, Joe Burrow put the ball here, and the receiver made a nice catch. So mm -hmm. I, I always try to avoid watching live just for that I, aspect of it. Yeah, it's come to the point where, like, I, I'm kind of with you. Like, I barely enjoy watching, game, watching games live because it just moves so fast that I can't, like, get – build like the schematic storylines and mm -hmm. understand like what each team is each team is trying to do and it's like i'll watch a watch a game and it's like like we do what normal dudes do we'll eat chicken wings and maybe have a beer and hang out with buddies and it's like oh you're having a conversation you pet the dog you have a chicken wing and yeah <laughs> you have no idea how the offense got from the 30 yard line down to the now they're at the in the goal line, like, and you just kind of miss things, and you don't have the capability to rewind, go back, check footwork, um, see what was the reason that this run play only had two yards, and yeah, it's just such. I guess that's such a one of the things you sacrifice moving from being a fan to a more analyst is like just watching the games live. Just don't feel as fun because there's so much you want to get out of it that you can't. Yeah, and Matt Waldman has a phenomenal article about it. I think it's called Losing Your Football Innocence. And it's once you start to evaluate the game critically, 
it you see the game in a different way and you don't enjoy it as much when you're sitting there watching you know live viewings because you're like i want to break this down i want to study this aspect i want to do this and and you do lose an aspect if i can never look at football the same way i did when i was 10 years old it just it can't happen yeah um, it's harder to talk to like regular football regular football fans because they just want to say <laughs> baker mayfield freaking sucks man he's the new mitch trubisky and i just want to go well actually baker mayfield had three straight years being one of the most successful college quarterbacks and with one of the most successful rookie seasons of any quarterback but has slowly regressed they don't want to hear that they don't <laughs> want to hear that they don't want to hear the detail yeah. they don't want to hear all of the stuff about his footwork some some people do but they only want to hear that if it already supports what they already believe about that player like if you think baker mayfield sucks and i give you a breakdown about why baker mayfield sucks because of his footwork he's all going they're going to eat it up so it's like i have trouble talking about football to like regular fans nowadays and i sometimes just kind of have to remind myself that not every person is going to really understand the like football like i do and i kind of it can be tough yeah, and then going back to the other uh, part of what you mentioned with uh, with Twitter was I have some things where, like, I'll, for instance, the Jamar Chase one. The only reason I watched Jamar Chase was it was actually before the draft last year, and I had someone reach out to me. It was, I think, like mid-April, and they're like, Mark, have you seen any of Jamar Chase? What do you think? I'm like, okay, well, I haven't seen any of Jamar Chase, but I want to watch. I'll watch a guy early, do a little prelim write-up just to see what I've got working here. I'm, I, I can jump into 2021 a little bit. And so I, I watched him and I wrote him up and, and I shared the the photo that I had taken of it was the notes. It was about 300 words of just here's what I like, here's what I don't like, here's kind of all the things he does, and here's a little preliminary grade of this is kind of where I have him right now. Um, and it just got shared nonstop. I, I, it was a reply one. It wasn't like I went on Twitter and said, everybody – Jamar Chase, like I had, I had tweeted, I think a small thing saying, like I'm not sure I love Jamar Chase as much as everyone else, but the the actual notes in the sixth round preliminary grade was just a reply to someone else, and so that got blown up, and everyone's like, Mark, how dare you? And Mike Renner from PFFs, like I, it's a his uh, database is his debo- it's a debauchery. I, I went on there once and I regretted it, and all these different things, and I'm like, man, I was just replying because someone asked me to watch Jamar Chase and, and tell me what what I thought. Um, and then I've had ones where, like, I had a um, a really low grade on C.D. Lamb last year when I watched him in the summer. Um, and I never was talking about it on Twitter, like, oh, I don't like C.D. Lamb. He's awful, so on and so forth. I just put the grade down. I'm like, okay, maybe I don't like C.D. Lamb that much. And everyone started turning to, oh, Mark, how dare you have this grade on C.D. Lamb? C.D. Lamb's the the future of the NFL. You're you're an idiot, this and that. And sometimes people go on my database, and they just want to pick out something to kind of target me over and – Sometimes, you know, I'll just be I'll reply on Twitter or something and I, I don't try to spark it. I, I used to play into it a little bit to be the be the bad guy, be the heel, um, just because I thought it was it was a funny way of engaging. Um, but I've realized that it's it hurts me to, to do that. It, it hurts me to have people write off all of my work because of, of an obscure opinion. I know so many people that saw my work. They just said, oh, he has Joe Burrow graded here. I'm never looking at anything he else else he does. And I put, you know, thousands and thousands of hours into my work and to have them say, oh, well, Mark doesn't like Burrow, so I'm, I'm not going to watch any or look at anything he does. It, it hurts. Yeah. I mean, gosh, like with what PFF Mike just said to you, like, I, I mean, I, I feel we should all just be kind of like more aware of like what we're doing. And I know like the popular term that people have been using is like gatekeeping that um this opinion is the right one we are going to hold this opinion if you do not believe in this opinion you are not within this group and we will treat you as an outsider of this group by being a dick to you on twitter and i think that's the and then all the people inside the group are going to continue are going to continue and it just kind it reminds me like i'm visualizing like a castle and like all the people are on top of the castle and they're like, ha ha, we are cool people. We have this opinion. You are not cool. We're going to throw tomatoes at you. And then everybody starts. Yeah. So yeah, I feel that everybody should be more, um, be more con, uh, conscious about it. Now uh, here is the, I guess, kind of the tough question. And the tough question for, for you is like, when you, when you hear this stuff, do you consider changing your mind? Do you start asking yourself, 
what is everybody else seeing in this guy that I am not seeing? Is this something, because we kind of uh, talked about, like, with the guys, is that sometimes the guys you have, the guys you like and the guys don't like, is kind of like an implicit bias of what kind of schemes and styles you like, and that reasons you don't like a player may not be because this player is not good, it's but because they don't fit your um, what, how you would run a football, how you would run a football team personally. So while I know it kind, um, it kind of uh, hurts, but what is like your kind of like reaction to after the hurt? Do you like go in to watch more, watch more film and try to see where you're wrong, or do you try to solidify your al- already opinion? Or after the hurt, you just ignore it? It was it was weird with Burrow because I watched Burrow the first I wrote the report and it was I watched two games of 2018 I I watched Texas game and I wrote him up off that and then after I gave him that really low grade and everyone started loving him I'm like okay maybe I'm missing something so I every game Burrow would play I'd go and watch another game and and go and study him more and I ended up watching more of Burrow than I watched on any other prospect last year because I just said you know I I'm not seeing it what other people are seeing. I don't like I other than the live viewing of Oklahoma where he killed them. But then I went back and watched that on tape and I didn't see it. So I just kept trying to watch as much as possible because I'm like, man, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe uh, I don't know what I'm missing, but I'm just going to keep going and going until I find it. And I never did. And and it sucked for me because I, I knew that that was something that every time someone looked at my work, that would be the one glaring thing that they saw was Joe Burrow is not QB1. Yep, that was, that was the first five. thing that that was the first thing I saw when I was looking at at your work, and my first response was, "What's what's the big hype around this guy if he doesn't have the ability to recognize that Joe Bur- Joe Burrow is number one?" And like I can't not say that I had that exact same response. Yeah, and that's the closest I've ever come to changing. Like the first few years I did this, I was so stubborn because I had like Juan Price as like number two overall and he'd be a Hall of Famer. So I was so stubborn through the first few years of doing this that it just didn't really phase me. But the Joe Burrow one really did because I had such a negative response in terms of people, you know, attacking me and writing off my work. And like you said, the, the first thing you saw was that. So in the, in the immediate reaction, when you see a take like that is this guy can't be serious. He's just doing this for, for, you know, attention or he's doing it for this and that. And, and that, again, like I said, that's the close I've ever come to changing a grade because I didn't – I don't want to be the person that everyone looks at and says, okay, he doesn't know what he's doing because he didn't like this player. I'm just going to ignore what he does because I am – I'm very passionate about what I do, and, and I I want people to say, you know, not just, oh, let me look at his Joe Burrow thing and then click off. I want them to say, well, let me look at what he wrote about this guy and let me look at what he wrote about that guy. So that's the close I've ever come. I, I didn't do it. Uh, I, I very much wanted to, but I just trusted my eyes and, you know, what if – if people don't like that, then then it's not for them. But, you know, it's, like I said, that's the closest I've ever come. And I really – every time I watch a player that I'm not sure on, I'll give them extra tape to, to try to see something. But at the end of the day, if I don't see it, man, I, I can't go against what I see. I, I, I was raised to always, you know, speak the truth and, and, and never lie. And I think scouting in a lot of ways is don't lie about what you see. What you see is what you see. So mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, yep. I'm wrong. But I'm, I'm never going to lie about what I see. Yep. Yep. I'm team, uh, team honesty as well. I've, I, from a time when I was in high school, I kind of made the decision that, you know, I'm not really that good of a liar. So I think the best policy going forward is just honesty all, um, all around. Yep. Welcome to Paul, uh, the football's philosophy channel <laughs> <laughs> here where we're going to talk about scouting is actually just not lying. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, really. I mean, it, it's encrypted into the pr- procedure. Like, I'm going to be the only scout that's going to ask uh, all of the scouts to have a section of stuff that we don't know to give people an option where if they legitimately do not know something due to lack of sample size, if they're not being asked to do it, they have a place to put it so they don't have to put in weaknesses things that we don't know. Because yeah. I feel that's kind of like uh, kind of uh, dishonest. And then another thing kind of like po- uh, pointing pointing th- uh, things out. I'm not quite sure if this will happen, but I think the more you watch football, the more you watch football players, and the more you learn as a scout, and the more videos, uh, videos you watch, I think your scouting rankings may uh, may turn to the um, may mimic some of the more consensus stuff a little uh, a little bit more, because maybe at some points you um because on your Burrow report, I think you gave his pocket awareness um. Like an I think eight it was out of an eight out of fifteen, yeah, eight out of fifteen off the top of my head, eight or nine. Yeah, but when I was watching his pocket awareness, 
I thought it, he, his pocket awareness was probably the best pocket awareness I've seen of any quarterback prospect since like I've that I've that I've watched. Like I was considering like giving it an eight, like it's already like top five. Mm-hmm. And like some of the some of those the like the word pocket awareness can have like different different meanings. And like I guess you can. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that as we as we both get older and better at scouting, that we can kind of like. Re- uh, recognize some of the more tiny details i'm not saying that uh hey mark here's the list of things you missed <laughs> on joe burrow um but i think there i personally think there were some things you missed on joe burrow <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, it's it's fine we can be honest about it that's yeah. I mean, that's as long as that's the thing is people can have these discussions and have these conversations about you know I, i'm i'm down to talk about joe burrow all day but like you know it's it's a very productive way of like okay so pocket awareness for example I have pocket awareness listed as, I think, the name of the trait, but I look at it in a lot of different ways. I'm not just, does he sense pressure? I'm, can he adapt to pressure? Can he run away from a guy? Can, you know, if he's getting chased by a defensive lineman, can he get away? If he's being chased by a defensive end, can he get away? Can he reset his platform in a, both um, positioning-wise, is it good, and timeliness, is it good? There's a lot of different things that you can kind of view of pocket awareness, pocket manipulation. There are so many different ways you can you can cut that cake. So with Burrow, I cut the cake of, Okay, well, he's got a good sense of pressure, but maybe he's not going to be able to get away from guys as easily at the next level. And maybe he's a little bit too, um, what's the right word here, frenetic in, in the way he adapts. Because my thought was, oh, he's just bouncing around and trying to find an exit lane instead of trying to find a platform, reset, and then deliver from that platform. I thought he was a little bit more like, let me drop my eyes, let me try to find a, a way to get out. Um, that's why I had two higher than him in terms of pocket awareness and, and pocket manipulation. So – like I said, there's a lot That's of ways you can the conversations that need to go. Not, hey, listen here, you dumbass. Joe Burrow's QB1. So, yeah, all of your work that you've done is now meaningless because Joe Burrow is not your QB1. How dare you? He's the greatest quarterback to ever come out of college, man. I mean, I, I honestly, I felt like I was, I, I felt like I was going crazy not seeing it with him. But I, I know at the end of the day that the, the time that I've put in watching prospects and getting better, and, and I, like you said, the more you do it, the more your board will align with the consensus. I've gone from having UDFA's in my scheme. top 10 to learning scheme, learning the, yeah, I know, learning I the know. context of which the production occurs is crucial. <laughs> but. Yeah, there's there's a I know a lot of people have critiqued me for my process. And I think one thing that is important to point out is the fact that there's more than just process. There's also the fact that you have to build your eyes. You have to learn to effectively identify talent. And nobody just, you know, you don't walk in the front door and say, I can identify every good football player out there. It's not going to happen. There's no magic button. You're not no one walks into scouting with the equivalent of like four, three, four, two speed everyone's kind of got a similar baseline. You know, maybe you played high school football. Maybe you did this. Maybe you did that. But at the end of the day, it's going to take you some time to go from being, uh, a you know, a, a scout who struggles to identify talent to one who can do it very effectively. That's why NFL teams, they take those Blesto scouts and those national scouts, and they stick them in there, and they have them work on the, the upcoming guys for a couple years, and they build up their ability. They don't just throw them into the deep end of the pool and say, I need you to figure out who our first rounder is going to be. They're, they work their way up, and they have to really learn to identify talent through the systems that that they're given by the team absolutely all right we are more than an hour into the podcast so uh this is this is the rough part about podcasting is um when it when it has to end i swear (laughs) i could probably talk with you about football for a good two two to three hours um i'll definitely have you on probably uh in the next probably two to three two to three months from now because this was awesome but yeah mark Hit uh hit the viewers with uh, your socials and uh, how they can get a hold of you if they want to um yell um yell at you politely or offer you a job. <laughs> All right, so if you want to yell at me politely, you can hit me up um at what's on draft NFL on Twitter. And if you're wanting to see some of my work, you can find it at what's on draft NFL dot com. Absolutely. And uh, I'm still Paul Duncan. I have not legally changed my name in the last hour. I am still the football, have not changed any of my social social names. And this has been the football's uh, scouting podcast. Next uh, next episode, we're going to have Tim Letero, who is a scout for XTB. And he will uh, guest uh, be talking with us then. Thank you, Mark. Have a great, uh, great day.